Hello and welcome to King's Church Podcast. My name is Jill Jackson and I've stuffed the podcast studio with a group of men this morning bearing books. I have on my mantelpiece a sign that says, She is too fond of books. It has turned her brain. And whilst that may or may not be true, I have enjoyed reading all my life and spend quite a lot of time perusing all sorts of things. We read to explore other people's lives and other worlds. We read to learn. We read to find information or look at a subject in a deeper way. We read for pleasure and we sometimes read to help us find our way through difficulties. The bookshops used to just have fact and fiction, but there now are all sorts of aisles dealing with such things as self-help books, chiclet, travel, murder mystery, meditation, how-to guides, journaling, and many, many more. And Christian literature is no different, apart from maybe the murder mystery. I would like to welcome our two guests this morning who've come to talk about what they are reading at the moment, what they've been reading, and maybe even their best Christian book ever. Welcome to the studio, John Lambert and Steve Ward. John, can I turn to you first? You can. Right, so what is your first choice of book? Well, it's not exactly one book, Jill, but a series of books uh, called Straight to the Heart, and they're written by... Uh, a church leader down in London, uh, Wimbledon, I think, called Phil Moore, who's part of New Frontiers. Right. And How many in the series, John? It covers the whole Bible now. What's today? Today is the 20, 20th. Uh, he's, he publishes the very last one this month on the 21st. Wow. Is that tomorrow? I think it might be tomorrow, and that's on Chronicles. Um, but when we had the Christ Central Leaders Conference at King's in July... There was a special offer on these books. I already had three or four of them and had read two, but they were going for the knockdown price of $1.99. So I bought the Perfect. whole lot oh, wow. uh, and have been <laughs> devouring them ever since. Uh, and they are devotional commentaries, I'd call them. Uh, so they go through every book of the Bible now. Now he covers every book of the Bible. Yeah. Sometimes he'll cover several in one Volume, For example, the Minor Prophets, that's 12 books of the Bible in one book. And each each um, title has 60 chapters, each of about four pages. So you can read one a day or two a day, uh, get through yeah. it in a month. And you cover each of these Bible books. I find them brilliant in the way they give background. They're excellent also in that he um, is very good on contemporary illustration and you know, quotes and stories that I have to confess I steal for my own sermons sometimes uh, and um, reuse. Uh, but uh, um, he's just very insightful into the, in the mm. Bible text and very accessible, very easy to understand and read for normal people. Great. You said they're devotional, um, sort of yeah. looks at it. I've read, you know, similar series, well, I don't know if there's similar series, the IVP, yeah. every book of the Bible, mm -hmm. it does... Um, what makes these sort of your 
go-to at the moment. Yeah, well, the IVP ones, you mean the Bible Speaks Today? That's right, that's, that's right. what I was thinking. Yeah. Well, they're very good as well. I've enjoyed those. They, I'd say, are a little bit more technical. Right. And sometimes the chapters are quite long. Yeah. Whereas these are, you know, as I say, four pages per chapter, 60 of them, uh, for each uh, title that he writes. And uh, therefore, it's, you know, it's um, a few minutes each day plus the Bible passage that it's referring to. And I've found that it enriches my Bible reading. And when my Bible reading is rich, my Christian life is richer. Mm. Um, so I've just found these really, really excellent. And this year I've read so far um, his titles on Mark, Romans, Revelation and the Minor Prophets. And I'm hoping to get through Luke, Acts and Job by the end of the year. Fab. So that's quite... That sounds really good. Yeah. What about a huge book, like the books of the law and this sort of thing? Or um, I'm thinking Kings or Samuel yeah. or... He one covers of those Kings in one book. He very good. The books of the law, so the Pentateuch, the first five yeah. books of the Bible, he does Genesis in one book. Yeah. And then the second one in that, in that sort of series, if you like, is called Moses. And that covers Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. Right. So... I guess he'd be commentating on much larger passages of scripture, you know, than in, for example, Mark's gospel, just yes. 16 chapters and he covers yeah. that in a whole book. Um, I think he does Isaiah as one book. He does Jeremiah, Lamentations and Ezekiel as one book. That's, so that's very long passages because that's quite a, yeah, that's quite that's a big a chunk, that, isn't it? Yeah. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's difficult to come across a commentary on Lamentations that yes. really looks at the way Lamentations. It's not a book we hear preached on very often, Lamentations. It's lamentable, isn't it? Yes, it is, <laughs> totally. Right, yeah. Steve, have you heard of this series? Have you read any of those series? I, I, yes, I used the Romans one. Um, uh, and and I, I back up what John says. I think they're very accessible. Um, one of the things you find with, um, if you read the more, I suppose, specialist commentaries which you, you need to do sometimes but you find that they're spending a lot of time comparing and contrasting different views of, yes, uh, of a passage that's of true of the IVPs yeah yeah and, and I mean that's helpful and as I say it's necessary sometimes but if you just want to read for devotional purposes then it becomes like wading through treacle actually yeah um, you just want something that you can pick up take from start to finish you can hear what you know what that particular passage is is, is communicating to us, um, you know, and, and then the word of God comes alive. So, yeah, I mean, I've, I've only read the one, um, but certainly the approach I absolutely uh, would endorse. They're going on my Christmas list now, definitely. Well, if you wait until the Christ Central Conference next year, you may get them at a knockdown price again. I don't yeah, know whether I need to download them. I'm one of these downloadable. Yeah. Don't have a book in my hands. Just, I mean, it's not because I don't like books. It's mm. just easier format for me. Do we but, know yeah. if they are kin uh, available on Kindle? They are. They are. Fabulous. Good. Very good. There you go. Yeah. No excuses. You get them on Kindle and everything. Even have them read to you. Yeah. Sounds great. Sounds a really good series. So if you're into something, or maybe Colossians at the moment we're going through, or yeah, maybe the Colossians, one thing you're doing. Does, yeah. I think the title there is Galatians to Thessalonians. So it's which, Galatians, which Ephesians, is, Philippians, Colossians. Great. All in one book. Yeah, or things maybe you haven't understood before. Hmm. Good one. Right, they're good on my list. Steve, come on, see if you can sell yep. yours as well as John sold his. Good morning, everybody. What's your first? So, well, I've gone for 
books. I, I haven't gone for any of the books I'm reading at the moment, Jill. No, that's not a problem. Um, some of uh, some of the listeners will know that I've recently done a two-year course of study with Cliff College, and um, I've therefore come across some books that I wouldn't normally have picked up. And what, my first recommendation, I, I would have been astonished if. 12 months ago, somebody had said to me, you'll be recommending a book on listening. Um, but I had to write an essay on listening, and I looked at the title on, on the, um, the study sheet, and I thought, what on earth am I going to write about that? Um, and interestingly, um, there were very few Christian books about listening, which when you think about how basic a, um, a part of life it is, that's, that's actually quite, uh, quite a surprise. But I came across this book. It's called The Listening Life. It's by Adam McHugh, that's M-C-H-U-G-H, who is an American pastor and um, also a chaplain at a, at a hospice. Um, and I have to say, of all the books that I read when I was studying, this is one that's had the biggest lasting impact on me. Oh. Interesting. Uh, which is why I'm recommending it. And I would recommend it. It's not just for leaders. Um, it's not just for people that have got a pastoral ministry. It's everybody will benefit from it. Um, for one thing, until you really sit down and reflect, you don't realise just how much the Bible has to say about listening. From the fact that we have a listening God, um, which, yeah. you know, we... It, we shouldn't take that for granted. We might have a God who doesn't listen, but we have a God who, the scripture is very clear, that we have a listen. Um, we have the example of Jesus. I mean, if you look at any of his interactions with people, he was a superb listener. He could listen as well as preach. Um, and actually, the Bible is full of references to the wisdom of being, for instance, James says, be, you know, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Yeah all the way through the book of Proverbs. Yeah, one mouth, two ears. Yeah, well, that's that's right. And I was expecting um, to find a lot of secular material on it because my experience from the world of work is every time you go on a sort of management course, and they'll, they'll do something about And listen about, to your staff and absolutely, get their yeah, feedback. Yeah, and yeah. But to come across this Christian perspective on it was really, really helpful. Um, Can I ask how... I'm, I, know, I don't mean this in a any sense derogatory way, but how American is it, Steve? Um, I find their approach is often a bit uh, different to a British approach. So um, I'm, I'm pausing because I, the best way of answering the question is I didn't notice that when I was right. reading it. So in other words, it, uh, there was nothing in the way it was written or, you know, I just style. I was thinking culturally mm. they go to therapists and talk out their problems and somebody listens to them. Yeah. But, um, I just wondered if that had sort of invaded it in any way. Not really. Because Great. he is, um, because he starts, I mean, the first half of the book is, you know, the listening God, the king who listens, us listening to God. So it's not really a book about that kind of yeah. approach to listening until the end when he's talking about some pastoral sort of elements. Um, I, I might just quote a couple of things from it. Um, we've got a section here. This really made me think. Um, he's talking about the need for us to approach conversations with a listening attitude 
and an, an intention to listen. Um, and I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation where, you know, it doesn't matter how long you're talking to your friend or whatever, um, but, but somehow the, the, the topic always gravitates back to them. Um, and, you, you know, you've got something you really want to talk about, but you just never get to that point in the conversation. Yeah. Well, he comes up with this concept of an arrow. So good listening starts with the scandalous premise that this conversation is not about you. <laughs> Yet everything in us wants to make it about ourselves. It's an ever-present temptation. So here's a tip for you. Imagine that there is a big arrow hovering over the space between two people engaged in a conversation. This is a very smart mind-reading arrow, and it will continually swivel to the point of whoever the attention in the conversation is focused on. To listen, we remind ourselves, is to pay focused and loving attention on one another. So the listener in the conversation has the goal of keeping the arrow pointing at the other person as long as possible. That's it. Push the arrow towards their interests, their needs, their heart. Encourage the other person to keep talking. Then you're really listening. Now, that's What simple. a simple idea. It's a simple idea. But as I say, it, it, it's, I found it revolutionary, actually. Um, probably in a, in a quiet way. I mean, I don't, I don't think I was a bad listener beforehand. But it's, it's much more, I don't know, I'm more aware of it, I think. Yeah, and obviously with the scriptural background to back it up, you think actually, yeah, it's part of my growth as a disciple of Jesus. I need to be a good listener, um, and and this book would you know absolutely help. Great. Anybody? Can you just it. repeat the title and who it was by, please? It's, it's the Listening Life, and it's by Adam McHugh. Okay, have you ever come across it, um, John? Sorry, sorry, I wasn't listening then. Um, sorry, that's a bit of a dad joke. Uh, <laughs> the answer is no, I haven't. Um, I haven't, no. It looks sounds very interesting. Sounds, sounds, sounds really interesting, doesn't it? Mm, sounds mm. really interesting. Yeah. Okay, well, go on, you can go for your second one before John goes for his second one. Well, okay, so my second book um, is called Overpowering Nemo. Um, and if the title makes you think of a cartoon fish, please put that... Out of your mind, it does a little bit actually. It does, well, quite it? a lot actually. Well, let me dispel the myth because this this book actually has quite a bit of darkness in it, but also a tremendous story of God's deliverance. It's the autobiography of Ginny Bergen, who many of us will know. Um, in fact, those who were at the um, the conference that oh yes, that John yeah, mentions, of course, yeah, will will have uh, will have met Ginny. Um, she's um, from a you know, Sister Church of Ours, she's based in Sheffield. Um, and she's well known as, um, you know, having prophetic gifting. If you've ever met Ginny, she's actually really quite, um, she's, she's a quiet lady who keeps mm -hmm. herself to herself. Self-effacing. Her story is a fascinating example of how God can bring deliverance from the most um, impossible of situations that starts in life. Um, it chronicles... Um, it chronicles certain kinds of abuse. Do you say it's autobiographical? Yes. So she's written it herself. She's written it herself. I think. Right. I think it's in conjunction with, but she's, you know, she's she's competent writer in her yeah. own right. Um, and um, 
her childhood was full of um, abuse, setbacks. Um, she was continually told, you know, she was no good. Uh, she was kept in very confined situations as a child. Um, she suffered a lot of, of health problems because of how she was treated. Um, and the, the one link to anything good was uh, a, what she called the man in the picture. And she had a picture uh, in, in, um, in her room, which was probably a kind of very uh, kind of 19th century religious-y type of image of Jesus that we wouldn't like these days. But to her, it was the man in the picture who occasionally spoke to her. And at various points, um, you know, the, the man in the picture gave her guidance that saved her. And eventually she managed to encounter some Christians and um, just some amazing stories of, of deliverance from all those years of hurt. I mean, I'm summarising it, obviously. Yeah. Who um, would you say the target audience for a book like that is? Steve. So I would say there are two. Firstly, I would think anybody who is, who feels that they can't get over issues in their life. Right. Um, and secondly, I would say anybody who is in any kind of prayer ministry or has a heart for people who, you know, yeah. need to overcome problems. Um Who's the Nemo in the title? So, That's just what I want to know now. I want to know who the Nemo is. Well, Nemo... Because I don't remember a Nemo in the Bible. So Nemo in this context means nobody. And it was her name, her child name for herself. Childhood name for herself. Ah, oh, right, I'm, okay. I'm a nobody. Okay. But of course, eventually she came to realise that Nemo was a, a bit of a stronghold on her. And... Mm. Um, so overpowering Nemo was how, by the grace of God, God helped her to overcome that and bring deliverance through to right. the life that she has today. It's a very powerful book. Yeah, sounds very, it. Yeah. Very powerful, but maybe not for everybody. Um, I thought about that in terms of whether it was a good recommendation. I mm. think um, I think most people could read it as an inspirational book. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't read it to children, I don't think. No. Um, but I might address that particular side of things later on. Yes. Yeah. Okay. In this podcast. Yeah, good. Um, I, I'd also like to announce an offer because I happen to have a spare copy of this. Right. Get there. Get the Steve Ward and quick. Who, the first person listening to this podcast who asked me for it. Oh, can have Steve. We've got a freebie. A freebie. Yay. Yeah. Okay. Unless John snaps it up before he goes. John, back no, to you. John's not allowed. John's going to have to buy his coffee. <laughs> John, back to you. Uh, yes, uh, my second book. Yes, please. My second book is one I read in January this year. Um, I'd seen it advertised somewhere. I don't remember where. And I put it on my Christmas wish list and uh, it arrived in my Christmas present uh, box. And it's called The Jesus You Really Didn't Know. Really is written in italics. Subtitled Rediscovering the Teaching Ministry of Jesus by an Anglican vicar called Andy Angel. He's the vicar of St Andrew's Church, Burgess Hill, uh, near Brighton. And it looks at Jesus's teaching ministry, particularly as it's focused in Matthew's Gospel. 
And I found this really challenging, actually, because what you can't see on the podcast, but what you can see here in the room is the cover features an elephant standing in an empty room. And so obviously that talks about the elephant in the room, uh, that Jesus often spoke quite severe things. He spoke a lot about we forget that, don't we? Well, we do because we mm. don't preach about it very much in our evangelical churches. We tend to focus on uh, his kindness, his grace, his you know his words of you know release and freedom. But he could also be pretty hardcore when he wanted to be very direct. It's very direct, um, and he could be fearsome sometimes when he opened mm. his mouth, Jesus and. Uh, we tend to airbrush that out, really, I think. It, it is a bit of an elephant in the room. So I thought this will be a challenge for me because I'm a Bible teacher, it's part of what I do. I enjoy doing it very much, but I'm very conscious that uh, there's a huge temptation just to say things people want to hear. The encouraging stuff. But uh, yeah, just yeah. nice stuff to make go away with a warm, glowing feeling. And <laughs> Jesus didn't always do that. No. And that trouble it troubles me really that um, uh, the thought that I might be shortchanging people and not giving them the yeah truth. I've read a similar well I don't know if it's similar or not but have you read the Philip Yancey book The Jesus I Never Knew I haven't Cassie's read it but I, I that's read a, that is it doesn't look at the, the sayings but it looks at his life and mm -hmm. examples of things that would shock you yeah basically just if you look at them in there. You know, just as incidents, they would shot you. This is not the cuddly Jesus, mm. gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Mm -hmm. This mm. is the Jesus who had a sharp two-edged sword in his mouth. Well, indeed, I read this. I actually deliberately chose to read this following on from reading Dale Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, which focuses on the, the other side. The other side, Jesus's yeah. Jesus' ministry. And I thought, I want to read the two, one after the other, because um, and I love Gentle and Oli, and I thoroughly recommend it as well. Um, an excellent, really excellent Christian book. But mm. I wanted to not uh, blinker myself you need in both just focusing sides, yeah. on one side. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I found this, I found this fascinating, challenging. I think I want to read it again because I, I didn't come to a, a settled conclusion having read it. Um, how I should interpret these. Bible readings. He spends a lot of time talking about Jesus's relationship with the Pharisees and whether Jesus actually ever broke the law. Because I think there's a narrative that we sometimes believe that Jesus sort of broke the law, really, because he was all about love and grace and not about law. And, you know, you can't find God through law. But Andy Angel argues that he never did actually break the law of Moses. He was scrupulous in his observation of it. And um, some of the passages in Matthew's gospel, which suggests otherwise he deals with at great length. And uh, yeah, I find that really interesting. Yeah. He does say that Jesus did make himself, according to the law of Moses, ritually impure. But he says because Jesus is God, he actually purifies the uncleanness rather than allows the uncleanness to... Which is why he hung out with up. prostitutes <laughs> yeah. and yeah. taxpayers and... People who would be seen as ritually unclean to him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, I just found it really challenging. And like I say, I think I want to read it again, uh, thoughtfully, prayerfully, because it for me, it matters to me that we reflect what the Bible says rather than what we want the Bible to say yeah. when we teach it. How accessible is it? Um, 
not so accessible as the books I mentioned yeah. earlier. Yeah, okay, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit more um, of a challenge to read. Yeah. I mean, the the book title, sorry, the book title and the cover doesn't really suggest that, but he's no slouch, Andy Angel. He's got a PhD, he used to be a Bible college lecturer, theological college lecturer. Uh, and you sort of feel that a little bit sometimes in uh, in his writing. It can be quite technical. Right. But it's not massively inaccessible. No. But it's, um, I wouldn't say it's popular level reading. Really. No. Good, good one to come across, actually. I was going to say, do either of you have a favourite author? Somebody who, when they bring out a book, I am still talking Christian books here, not, you know, John Grisham or over. Um, I, do either of you have a favourite author that if they bring out a book, you always get it? Hmm. I think um, the nearest author I get to that would be Nick Page. Okay. Who's very, very funny, yes. but also extremely learned and yeah. knows a lot and you learn lots of things, but you also have tears running down your cheeks yeah. as he writes. And, uh, yeah, I'd say most of his new stuff that comes out, I'll, I'll, I'll read it from the library or yeah. read it or buy yeah. it. Or, yeah. What about you, Steve? Yeah, there's probably a few. I mean, anything by Andrew Wilson. I was going to say, I would have put yeah. money on that for yeah. you. Yeah. Um, uh, it used to be the case that I'd buy anything by N.T. Wright, but he just keeps writing books. And I <laughs> can't keep up. <laughs> just too many. I can't keep up. No, no. Um, uh, there's a lot of Tim Keller that I read. Um, and I know there's somebody else. I, I wasn't anticipating this question. I might come back to it. Okay. Just, John, just, just coming back to your your recommendation there is what do we miss do you think by not focusing on some of those more difficult passages or put it the other way what will we gain by um incorporating those more difficult sayings of jesus into our our, our culture i suppose into our well i think uh, going back to the two books i mentioned gentle and lowly and the jesus you really didn't know I think Gentle and Lowly made me feel um, comforted and reassured as a sinful man that God's love for me is um, real. He stooped uh, down to make us. Absolutely. Right, yeah. And uh, I marvelled really at the, mm. the, the beauty mm. of yeah. Christ and the greatness of my salvation. This one, the Jesus you really didn't know, I'd say it spurred me to greater holiness and passion yeah. to, to live for God in a way that I'd never lived before and take really seriously um, all the scripture, not just the bits that comfort me. You know, So, yeah, it definitely was a, a motor, an engine towards holiness. In That's my life. great when you come across a book like that, actually, mm -hmm. that redresses a balance but also pushes you to think about something you'd not considered before mm. it's the richness of scripture isn't it yeah really is steve mm. i can see another book you can yeah so i'd like to recommend and please don't switch off when i mention what this is uh, dear listeners um i'd like to recommend a book that was written for children and it's called sophie and the heidelberg cat and it's written by Andrew Wilson. Yes, I know this is where I decided I didn't like him anymore. Because not only is he a very talented man, but he's written an absolutely brilliant book for children. 
Yeah. It's really good. It's and it superb. Really, I was so cross because I thought, he's far too talented. Yeah, I know. Sorry, Andrew, but there you go. <laughs> yeah. He's also got a completely opposite end of the spectrum. He's got a book coming out next year, which is a historical investigation into events that took place in the late 18th century and their implications. Oh, please. I know. I know. But anyway, back, back, back to this book. Let me ask you a question. How do we introduce to children the truth about grace, the grace of God? Obviously, we model it. Yeah, if we're parents, if say. we're uncles, if we're grandparents, um, or if we just know kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we, in, in the way we deal with them, but as parents, we spend so much time training kids in right and wrong that it's very easy for kids to, to pick up the idea that acceptance is about how good they, they are. You know, if, if I'm good, mummy and daddy will love me. If I'm bad, they won't love me. And the same goes for my teachers and the same goes, you know. Yeah. And, of course, they then get into society where everything approval, is reward-based. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So to come across a book which so beautifully... Can um, I see the pictures? Just hold it up a minute. You can. This is a picture book, by the way. It's a oh, picture book. Oh, they're lovely pictures too. Look, Please tell me he didn't do the pictures. No, the, the illustrations were by Helena Perez Garcia, um, uh, whoever she is, but she, the, they're, they're wonderful. But this is a story about Sophie. I'll just read you the beginning so that you get the flavour of it. Sophie is crying. Her sister Michaela has broken her doll's house. And nobody cares. To make matters worse, she pushed over her sister, then yelled at her parents and stormed up the stairs. She looks out the window and sees on the chimney the cat from the Heidelberg's house next door. She stares at it, when to her utter amazement it suddenly asks her, You're crying. What for? So you can see the style very accessible to, I reckon... Anybody, any child between the ages of yeah, especially with the rhyming that you can absolutely yeah, anticipate yeah. what's coming next. Yeah, um, so it, Sophie and the cat then go on a journey where they talk about um, they they talk about what Sophie's done, um, and the cat introduces her to the concept of grace, and um, you know it says so. It says here the Bible tells stories of hundreds of people. And all of them disobey God, except one. So hope doesn't come from the good things we do. It comes as a gift from what Jesus has done. Mm. So I'm looking forward to reading this to my grandson when he's old enough. And if you know a child, of, whether it's yours or somebody else's, do get a copy of this book. It's wonderful. And like you say, the guy is just too, too good. Yes, it's not the only children's book he's written either, is it? There's a more recent one called The Boy from the House of Bread, which is also an, an amazing, um, different perspective telling of the story of Jesus. Mm. I know, Jill, you and I have talked about that yeah, one as well. Yeah, and, it's, and it, it actually made me cry. Yeah. Which is, and it's for a rhyming children's book, but it's just beautifully beautifully written this one and made me cry when i first read it actually. Yeah, yeah just so. really really lovely but it's yeah. lovely to have a book that you can recommend for ch um for parents for children isn't it absolutely nice yeah. christian book out there yeah. um how expensive is that one steve just so um people know do you know how much 
That was. Um, I wasn't going to get into that, but picture um, books are often quite a lot more money. Yeah, I think it's about six or seven pounds. Oh, right. That's, well, that's so it's not too bad. Incredible. That's yeah. right. That's really, really good. Yeah. Right. Um, moving on. Mm. What would you say is your best Christian book of all time? That's a really hard one. Jill. It is a really hard question, but yeah. you know we don't just do the easy ones here. Of course, yeah. Um, so I'm actually going to say my favourite Christian book of all time is *The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe* by C.S. Lewis. Cool. I'll let you have that one, John. That's such a difficult question. I know. You see, I wouldn't be able to answer it. I'd have to have a it few. It could be an Andrew Wilson one called incomparable but mm. uh, that's really good but I, I think I think I'd probably go for Desiring God by John Piper John Piper which I just remember the impact it had on me when I first read it which I still have echoes of today just the way it transformed my thinking about the supremacy of God in all of life mm. uh, yeah amazing book mm. Thank you. Thank you both for coming into the studio today. Thank you for your recommendations. We would like this to be um, a regular thing. So if you are a great reader and have some recommendations for people who might like to enjoy your recommendations, then please see me because I would really enjoy uh, talking to you about them. Uh, thank you, John. Thank, thank you. you, Steve. Thank you. And uh, get your notebooks out, everybody, and write your Christmas lists. <laughs>